It's Monday, October 18th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Well, that might be the hundredth time you hear this Japanese disco pop bed. My voice coming up and say, welcome to Radio Free Oz. I'm your I'm your host, Peter Bergman. My co-host, David Osmond, is right here in Blue U Studios. And ladies and gentlemen, Oz and Ears, this is our 100th show. It sure looks that way from uh, my count. Gosh, I thought we should have, you know, fireworks and, and uh, you know, when old old acquaintance be forgot and all that kind of stuff going on. But, yeah, it's ever since last Earth Day in the springtime. Right. right up to today, and it's almost Halloween. Well, a couple of weeks away. A couple of weeks away from... Uh, uh, the big election. Um, so by the time we get there, we're going to be on our 110th or 115th show. We're still here, and uh, we know that a lot of you are still here. Uh, yeah. And we've dragged you along with us for uh, a few days, a few weeks, a few months on this show. And uh, there's still a lot to talk about, Pete. Gosh, we haven't run out of things to say to one another no, yet. No, it even gets it's scary how much is developing. I mean, you know, David, sometimes I wonder. Do I, do they, they being the people listening, need Oz? And it's it's a question, you know, like I, I could be making bagels early in the morning down at the corner or something like that, but I'm doing this. And the answer is, yes, people need Oz. And it's going to get, the need is going to grow after the midterms. The midterms is not the end of American democracy, but it could be the beginning of the beginning of the end of American democracy if we're not very, very careful. This is a serious situation. It is really developing. A, fe- a fearful time. It yeah. is a fearful time ju- just because the gulf, so many gulfs are so wide. Yeah. There, there's the there's the the economic gulf everybody's talking about between them and us. There's and the employment gulf, the, the people who are gulf. unemployed and have been unemployed over a year, and many ho- know they will never get another job if things don't change. And that's one of those crevasses on Mount Everest that takes people down. You know, every time All they try the to climb time. it. Yeah. The, and but the gulf between um, uh, a certain way of thinking about the world, presumably, about your religion and its application to other people, Uh, the gulf between what government should do on the one hand and on the other is so uh, uh, extraordinarily wide. We have right here in our, uh, um, as our representative in Congress, we have a guy who's been there for quite some time, and he's a good old Democrat and votes for all the things he votes for. The guy that's coming at him is uh, is like get rid of social security he's one of the those uh, you know uh, com- compassion free america guys yeah. and you wonder and he's got uh, Sarah Palin's endorsement he's got the tea party's endorsement whole thing whole bag all the secret money they couldn't be more different which means that their supporters and and couldn't be more different from one another which means when you go out in the street, what is it, Lebanon, 1980? <laughs> I mean, it's getting scary, really. Well, well I, I've come off the ferry. I'm, I'm writing a blog about this, in fact. Yeah. I come off the ferry, and there's these fields of, of election signs, right. right? It's like flowers, right? And I think this might refer to that guy. I don't remember his name. It, said in, you know, it gives the guy's name, and it says, bankrupting America since 1992. Mm-hmm. And I went, wait a minute. I'm getting a whiff of 1932 and 1984. 
because you say re bankrupting America since 1992, which means we're in this mess because he stabbed us in the back. All the way back then. All the way back then, and has continued to be a traitor to American ideals. That's what I'm whiffing. Then, 1984, because Karl Rove, with the help of the Supreme Court and the Chamber of Commerce and foreign money and all of these super, super billionaires, the the amount of of anti-democratic, not only party, but democratic ideals that are being, you know, uh, the media maw that is opened is of Orwellian proportions. And people are being overwhelmed with all of these lies and innuendos and slurs and libels and slanders, lies, lies, lies. And they don't know, they don't know what to do. They could turn off the damn TV, but then of course they don't have a job or they've got a job that they, they're so tired from after the day that what else have they got? So they need people to energize them by yelling at them. We were looking at uh, a little TV or I was looking at uh, TV in my uh, hotel room down there in California. And uh, I never, we don't have TV, so I never see it. And so it's all, I, I kind of skip through each channel waiting for something that isn't a commercial. And uh, I'm, I, I guess I'm glad the automotive industry is going, but I'm just as sick of those car ads for American cars as I ever was. And, you know, whether they're electric or run on hydropower or wind power or whatever the hell. Or being pushed by people. There'd be a stimulus plan. You hire people to push other people's cars. Now that, they're talking about a clean energy program. Yeah. I know some illegal aliens, man. They're standing on the corner of Pico and Alvarado waiting for a job to push your car. Or it doesn't even, you, you can actually be, it's it's good work for young people and it's 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 glove ready. Hey, you know, you're ready to just push, push, push stuff around. Hey, for kids who really want a hands-on career. Yeah. Well, it's a start. And you get, you know, it, it, you got to start somewhere. And it's, it, I tell you, the, the gulf also between yeah. lies and truth, it no longer is necessary to tell. And that's what's so Orwellian is that mm-hmm. the lies are the truth and the truth are the lies and war is peace and peace is war. And in fact, all of this horrible debate is going down and what's being completely ignored, except of course by the Seattle Times today, their lead editorial, which is you're not going to solve anything unless you end both of these wars. Come home, come home, come home. Never saw that before. But that's new. That's not really part of the dialogue over the midterm elections. It's about somehow, and you see it time and time again. I've been reading all kinds of articles into the show that you'll hear, you know, the next two or three, which is that Obama is taking us into socialism, a European socialistic state. As Newt Gingrich says, that idiot, uh, that that Obama is more, is a Obama's America is as dangerous to us as Stalin's Russia and Hitler's Germany. That's Newt Gingrich, former Sprecher of the House. Yeah, well, you know, in 100 programs between then and now, I think we've seen the – you know that atomic clock that they used to have on the the bulletin of the atomic they scientists? Still do. Oh, it's no, they still two do. minutes of midnight, yeah, right? And, and, and the more dangerous it got, they push it closer, closer to midnight. Closer to midnight, and then they drop it back to nine minutes of midnight, and then Something they creep good it back. Yeah, yeah right, right. If, if if somebody didn't drop a bomb, well, I think I think this country is about two minutes from midnight, Pete. Yeah, and yeah, when it gets right down to if you think of this as the as the 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 challenge to democracy, to popular democracy, call it fascism, call it authoritarianism, call it corporatism, all of these names, the fact is we are inching towards this and all of the all the bad flags are up 
unemployment, a depression, a ruined foreign policy, a not-me president, the way they're jumping on Obama, right? And unfortunately, unfortunately, Obama's a real Christian in the sense that he doesn't yell back. All he does is his job, you know? And he does the best he can. He's got good people around him. No, he's not a tumbler. He's not someone that comes out and starts beating up the opposition. Speaking of tumblers, the guy that's running for governor in New York. Oh, I got I got, I got a story about him coming, <laughs> coming right, right up. up. Hot off the AP wire. President Hamid Karzai confirmed that his government has been in informal talks with the Taliban on securing peace in war-weary Afghanistan for quite some time, the latest in a series of high-level acknowledgments of contacts with the insurgent group. Hey, Karzai is trying to protect his head. All he's got left, basically, is Kabul. If the Taliban takes over Kabul, they're going to cut his head off. The Afghan government says it hopes to make talks more structured with a peace consul that will aim for formal talks with insurgent groups. Uh, this Sunday, former President uh, Burhadun Rabani was named chief of the consul. Richard Holbrook, the Obama administration's special representative to Afghanistan and Pakistan, said militants must renounce al-Qaeda, lay down their arms, and respect the country's constitution, particularly provisions protecting minorities and women. Now, I can in no way be attacked for being anti-feminist in any way. But for us to stay in Afghanistan for, amongst other reasons, waiting for the Taliban to become feminist in any way, right, is crazy. And it's not where my foreign aid dollars should go. It's where none of my dollars should go. This is a human rights issue that should be placed in the lap of the UN. We should encourage the UN, pay our debts to them, support them, give them the money and the power they need. This is not just our fight. So we've got to, we've got to rein in all this kind of weird, naive American democracy that we can export what we want to do is we want to export democracy, so to speak, American democracy, and import their oil and their copper and their rare earths. I mean, man, this is just completely crazy. Holbrook told journalists and politicians in Berlin this week the talks did not involve the United States and warned media uh, that they were exaggerating the importance of the discussions, which means they're probably going down. And America knows all about them, doesn't know what to do with them because unlike Ronald Reagan, we don't want our picture taken with those guys in the turbans. The reports greatly exceed the reality, Holbrook said. There's no question the Taliban are under tremendous military pressure. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the reasons you've seen so much recent comment about reconciliation. No, they're just doing fine militarily. It's it's Karzai who is sitting there figuring it's one thing to have a collarless shirt. It's another thing to have no head above it. It appears that the campaign of Ron Johnson for senator in Wisconsin is emblematic of this midterm election, this hairy, unpredictable midterm election, this potential bloodbath, this out of Politico. Until last fall, Ron Johnson was just an intensely private guy with a good business and a nice house on Lake Winnebago. A trim, silver-haired businessman, he was rich but unknown. Even in this, his hometown, despite big donations to Lourdes High School and his thriving plastics company here. Running for office never crossed his mind. Barack Obama changed all that. 
Until last fall, Wisconsin seemed destined to again send a Democrat to the Senate, just like it had for 18 years since Senator Russ Feingold leveraged a clever no-skeletons-in-the-closet campaign to oust Republican Robert Kasten. Feingold, plenty liberal, but with a cantankerous streak that fit the time, seemed a sure bet to go back to Washington. Obama might be able to change that, too. The story of the 2010 election, the Tea Party drama, the anti-Obama tension, the prominence of right-wing media figures, and a wounded Democratic incumbent, all can be distilled in one state, Wisconsin, and through one candidate, Johnson. Much like his contemporaries, Sharon Angle in Nevada, Rand Paul in Kentucky, and Joe Miller in Alaska, Johnson talks the talk of the Tea Party and also talks of going to Washington as less a lawmaker, more a messenger. Uh Uh-oh. I I think the job is lawmaker. He argues with conviction that Obama represents nothing less than a threat to turn America into a socialist European-style state and audiences nod along, the judgment sounding neither rabid nor harsh, even in Wisconsin, a state that fell hard for Obama. Politics has changed here like it did elsewhere. And it wasn't the change Obama was promising. People were anxious as they saw friends lose jobs or their houses foreclosed on, or read of companies like Fond du Lac's Mercury Marine Incorporated, maker of the popular boat motors, threatening to bolt the state. Tea Party rallies started heating up, feeding off the anger about talk in Washington of government-run health care and a cap-and-trade vote in the House. Independents, the same ones who bought into Obama's original promise of change, started to turn on Democrats. Some of the independents began to flirt with the Tea Partiers, then, as now, a loose affiliation of activists with varying degrees of clout. Johnson got sucked in by all of this. The Tea Party of Oshkosh was pulling together a rally for a fall event featuring Joe the Plumber, the, uh, the working man, so to speak, who emerged as a folk hero to small government conservatives in 2008. They needed a businessman to talk about what they saw as the scary big brother approach to Obamacare, and Johnson was happy to oblige. His daughter, Carrie, was born with a heart defect saved by two doctors, a story anyone following his campaign has heard many times in ads and speeches ever since. So he let loose with an attack on the demonization of doctors and, more broadly, the moral threat to American exceptionalism. That's one of the problems we're facing, folks. We think we're exceptional. Yeah. The American Revolution, the American court system, there's a lot about us that is marvelous and exceptional, but it stops at a certain point. And what is not exceptional about us is our work ethic, our ability to treat this country as a commonwealth, to look abroad and see others as sisters and brothers instead of failed attempts at being us. We are only exceptional in a limited degree, and let's keep it limited. The new law he said, Johnson speaking of Obamacare, will destroy our health care system, which, of course, is pure BS. He said this in an interview. I am totally convinced of that. In hindsight, Johnson in that speech was capturing a major mood change in American politics that swept up not only business owners, but also anti-government conservatives and skeptical independents. These groups, by the late summer of 2009, had turned against the president and his party and never returned. It is now clear all the talk of stimulus spending, a health care takeover, and new energy taxes were to blame, coming together to form a powerful electorate force that swept candidates like Johnson, Angle, and others into Senate races against once sturdy incumbents now threatened with defeat. But because his media diet consists mainly of the Wall Street Journal and talk radio, Johnson, intuitively sensed, would take more than Tea Party excitement to pull off a Senate victory. He needed the right-wing echo chamber. 
Rush Limbaugh is as popular here as anywhere, but it's a trio of statewide conservative talkers led by Charlie Sykes, who often holds sway over local GOP politics. They savage, squishy Republicans like Dick Leinenkugel, whose family brews a great local line of beers. Yeah, the the right-wing Republicans love to eat the middle of their party because it's the real GOP, and they want to destroy the real GOP. Johnson didn't want them to savage him, too, so he says he called the three biggest names on the local dials in hopes of testing his viability. He pulled together two of his speeches, typos and all, and fired them off, and he hand-delivered them to Sykes, who bit. Without alerting Johnson or even telling listeners who the author was, Sykes read a big chunk of that first healthcare speech live on News Radio 620 on the AM dial. He was unknown until that point, Sykes told me. He picked just the right moment to pitch just the right message to a wary electorate. In many ways, that one scene captures the most significant development in GOP politics this cycle. Johnson is just like his ideological soulmates elsewhere in that it was the blessing of the tea parties and the boost of conservative media that mattered much more than the laying on of the establishment's hands in D.C. Yeah, these people are running without the establishment in D.C. Well, what do you know? His message and circumstance are almost identical to the other Tea Party candidates. All believe powerfully that government has grown too large, too fast, and unless changed, America may be on the verge of losing its greatness. But to understand why many will win, it's important to reckon with the most significant development in politics more broadly. That, at least for now, the political interests of conservatives and angry independents have converged. Polls show both groups are most concerned about spending, the growth of government, and are opposed to the new health care law and highly motivated in this campaign. Of course, they don't see the connection between government spending and the emerging depression. They don't realize the power and vision of the stimulus plan. Even the Democrats are running away from such a successful plan. They won't accept the fact that TARP works. No, they've got to pound the government because they can't handle the dissolution of their own lives. One result is a significant change in the number of people who describe themselves as conservatives, not Republican but conservative. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, which provides comprehensive and essential coverage of this race, illuminated this trend last week. It showed that two recent and respected polls found that almost 50% of voters said they are conservative, a double-digit increase over recent elections. Feingold doesn't dispute the rise in conservatives, but says it would be a mistake to assume that he cannot win them over with his own emphasis on fiscal conservatism, civil liberties, and trade. He has been pounding Johnson over his support for trade agreements and claims in the past five or six days his polling shows Johnson falling quickly. Everyone in Washington is missing the big story, Feingold said. I hope he's right. The last four public polls show Feingold down. Few saw this coming last fall. Feingold is one of the few senators who can authentically claim he bucks his party when it isn't easy, and he did it in opposing the Iraq war and routinely demanding troop withdrawals when that wasn't the Democratic line. He is one of the few who actually goes after popular spending programs. At the same time, to this day, he offers a full-throated defense of the stimulus bill and the new health care law, both of which he voted for. He was liberal enough to win Democrats and independent enough to win independents and skilled enough to win overall in 1992 with 51%, in 1998 with 53%, and again in 2004 with 55%. State Representative Gordon Hintz, a Democrat who represents this area, spent much of the past two elections knocking on doors and listening. What he hears emphatically is that voters, especially independents, 
are losing faith in politicians and government. It's more disgust than anger, and it's aimed at Democrats like Feingold simply because they are in power. A lot of people were willing to vote on hope in 2008, Hinn says, but now many are quick to turn hard against the ruling party. Feingold needs Obama. Even if he has uh, appeared reluctant to share the stage with the president, specifically he needs Obama to recapture the imagination of young voters who put John Kerry in 2004 and Obama in 2008 over the top in the state with big turnouts in Dane County and among other activists on Democratic turf. Obama appeared to pull this off when he drew 26,000 people to a rally in Madison last month. Still, it seems unlikely any amount of intervention can get Democrats as worked up about this election as conservatives and angry independents are. That's just the problem. That we just cannot raise the level of liberal and, and shall we say, right-thinking uh, or in correct-thinking independence. We can't get their passion up. They aren't as angry and they aren't as frustrated and they aren't as discouraged as the rest of those uh, conservatives. Johnson feels stung by a story in the journal Sentinel, I want to mention this, in which he questioned the science behind global warming and said sunspots are just as much to blame. This is a man we're sending to the Senate. This is a man to represent a country that consumes 25% of the world's resources with 5% of the world's population who thinks global warming is a result of sunspots. Asked what other uh, innovative ideas he might push in office, Johnson didn't talk of tax reform or private social security accounts or of anything a conventional senator might do. Instead, he committed himself to a re-education of America and talked about how expectations of government help are spinning wildly out of control, creating a culture of dependency that has little appreciation for what it takes for individuals and businesses to thrive. One could easily hear Angle in Nevada and Paul in Kentucky making the same case with the same intensity, using the same words to win and planning the same approach if elected. This man is not a politician. He's savvy. He's a successful businessman. Like out of the graduate, he found out that the secret was plastics. He's a plastic man and he has no agenda and he thinks that global warming is the result of sunspots, and he may very well take over the position of a very good, intelligent, and well worth keeping in Senate man in, in fine gold. It may happen. It may be that bad. They say things have to get bad to get better. Maybe things have to get bad to get worse. I really don't know, but I don't like this man, Johnson, and I don't wish his campaign well. There you go. Pull in your reel, Mr. Fielding. You're barking up the wrong fish. I call this little section Chavez the Putz. Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez expressed solidarity with China's government Sunday over the awarding of the Nobel Peace Prize to a jailed Chinese dissident. He suggested the prize should not have gone to Liu Xiaobo, who has drawn praise from Western governments as an advocate of gradual political change without any violent confrontation with Chinese leaders. This Liu is like Obama, the other Peace Prize, Chavez said. The Venezuelan leader criticized last year's award of the Nobel Peace Prize to Barack Obama, saying the U.S. president didn't deserve the honor because his administration continues to engage in wars. Speaking in his weekly radio and television program, Chavez scoffed at his Venezuelan political opponents who praised the giving of the Peace Prize to Liu. Chavez said the opposition's support for the prize shows that they are lackeys of the West. They are worse than the Yankees. 
Our greetings and solidarity go to the government of the People's Republic of China, Chavez says, adding, Viva China and its sovereignty, its independence, and its greatness. He is having his lips surgically attached to the Chinese butt. Why? Let's find out. The Chinese government reacted angrily to the announcement of the Peace Prize for Liu. It said the Norwegian Nobel Committee violated its own principles by honoring a criminal. I hate these people. Chavez's government has intensified its diplomatic and trade relations with China as part of Chavez's effort to diversify sales of the country's oil. The United States, which Chavez accuses of trying to dominate the region, remains the biggest buyer of Venezuelan oil. You know, when Hugo Chavez came on the scene at first, I thought he might be a successful populist leader. He certainly was willing to thumb his nose at the United States, which sometimes is a very good start when you consider that we've been controlling Central and South America forever. But it turns out that he is an egomaniac and an actual dictator, just like we were warned. But this idea of denigrating the giving of a Nobel Prize to a jailed human rights advocate is so low. It, it really does earn him the sobriquet of Chavez the Putz. You know, we say it, but it's true. We say it again. Midterm, this midterm election and the Tea Party have brought some of the weirdest people out into major races. This isn't like somebody's running for county tax assessor and is being really weird. We're talking about people running for House, Senate, governors. You're talking about a good friend of mine who's running for tax assessor here. Yeah, and I like him. (laughs) I I sat there in the coffee house and had him explain to me what it was all about. Really good. Of course, the Tea Party's attacking him as being, you know, his legacy, taxes, you know, socialist Europe. Who knows? But anyway, let's go to Carl Palladino. Palladino. I love Palladino. Now, Palladino is the one that says homosexuality is, 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 is a joke. I wouldn't want Not an easy choice. But he's got some other far out ideas. Tell me about his ideas of who should be teaching our children. (laughs) Well, unwed mothers, obviously, you know, probably single mothers. Uh, certainly no pregnant women. I mean, you don't want to bring sex into the classroom no, in any sort of obvious say un- way. Unwed, uh, unwed mo- mothers yes. uh, and, and mothers and people living out of wedlock, whether, uh, he, they're, whether he, they're pregnant or not, should not be teaching in yes, the schools. Yes, and he personally is going to go in and look through your window to make sure, you know, that you've got the locked. ring on, whether you're in the yeah. thing, sack with it. Mm, the, girl? The, go- oh, no, the you're governor's come to school today. He's going to be testing all the women teachers to see if they are pregnant in and out of wedlock. That's what he's talking about. Hey, there's an Ayatollah job open for him. There is, really. There's always an Ayatollah job open for for guys like that. Now, this. he's going to lose because it's New York. And people like him are going to lose in California, it appears. But people like him are not going to lose all over the country. Yeah, I had the impression that it, that uh, uh, Jerry Brown was going to do okay in California. I, you know, we can't be sure, but it's um, the environment seems more like help. Like Jerry Brown is going to help the state get out of what it is. Otherwise, it might as well throw it away. Because and, pff, and what I don't get is gone. why would Meg Whitman, I really don't know why, why would she spend $120 million of her own fortune? The fact that she can blows my mind. The fact that we allow her to blows my mind. But why would she spend that money for probably the most problematic job in the history of American politics? Governor of the state of California, the ninth largest economy in the world, which is bankrupt, which is not running a lot of its key um, off on Friday, which is paying its its workers minimum wage almost across the board, which has taken 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, a hell of a nice man. No scandal, right? Scandal-free for eight yep, years, yep. not living at all in a, an egregious lifestyle, not being your Hollywood governor, has brought him down to rack and ruin, can't get it done, and yet she wants this job and is willing to spend 120 mil to get it. Now, Jerry Brown comes from a history of service. First, he's been governor, and he knows what he's getting into. His father was governor. It's a family of service. He's an ex-Jesuit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He knows what's happening. And it isn't pleasant for him either. And he's not spending $120 million of his own money to get there. But it's like his business. Yeah. His business is governing the state of California yeah. by way of the attorney general's office or the governorship or even being mayor of Oakland. It's all which part of it. a bloody it. difficult Ab- job, too. Yes. You know? And he's done it. And he's done it well. But I think that's a serious question about Meg Whitman. Why does she want this job? Does she figure she can unlimber money for her friends? I don't get Her any of business that. Business friends? You know, I, I, where's that going to come she's from? She's so you blah, know? I can't get it. A Fiorina I see as a real ego CEO. I'm going to the Senate gives yeah. her all kinds of leverage, regardless yes, of how much problem your state has. But the governor is truly hands-on. Oh, and, they'll, and they're going to cut her hands off. <laughs> I can't imagine that it has any issue to do with, you know, a real feeling for public service. Because no. most, if, if you want to bring the government down one way or another, then... Being a public servant is not in your line of work. It's uh, government, uh, you know, kind of, I guess those guys who go into old brownstones and tear out all the valuable stuff on the inside and just leave the Hulk, you know, a little, little bit of but deconstruction. that's not what she has in mind. I don't know no. what she has in mind, and I don't know why she's paying for what she doesn't. How about the guy, though, that's running in in the South Carolina as a the, the Democrat who— who this poor guy, a black guy who who is on, uh, you know, he's up for a, a, a conviction. He's up, up for a pornography conviction. He's absolutely out of nowhere. They, they well, you mean nominate. Mr. Green make Mr. bobbleheads yeah, of bobblehead me? Bobblehead guy, right, right. So well, I mean, that is one that seems like it's going to get lost. But here's the weirdness: is how did that guy get himself in? into that position. If he was a Republican, you'd say, oh, boy, those, those guys, they do really drag some weirdos Because it's a totally re- Republican area and nobody ran and he stepped in and got it. And That's nobody all. ran. No, nobody cared. Nobody cared. So there goes the two-party system. Out the window. Oh, you're going to love this one from uh, Talking Points Memo. The Atlantic's Josh Green reports that millionaire businessman Rich Lott the Republican nominee challenging Representative Marcy Captur in Ohio's 9th District has an unusual hobby. He likes to pretend he's a Nazi. Lott, a Tea Party-backed candidate, spent time fighting another battle before he hit the campaign trail against Captur as a member of the 5th SS Viking Panzer Division, a group of Ohio World War II reenactors. I just love this guy. According to their website, the Vikings, W-I-K-I-N-G-S, strive to salute the idealists from occupied Northern Europe who saw the Third Reich as the protector of personal freedom and their very way of life and signed up to fight for the Wehrmacht and give their lives for their loved ones and a basic desire to be free. This is purely sickening. Green broke the story uh, this week showing the photos of Lott in his SS garb on HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher. Lott played it off as being interested in history. Yeah, I'm interested in history, but I don't reenact myself as Genghis Khan. 
I've always, this is lot, I've always been fascinated by the fact that here was a relatively small country that, from a strictly military point of view, accomplished incredible things. I mean, they took over most of Europe and Russia, and it really took the combined effort of the free world to defeat them, Lot explained to Green. From a purely historical military point of view, that's incredible. Well, that's, is that short-sighted? Maybe we should just take the Nazis for their victories. I mean, yeah, they invaded people for no particular reason. And the fact that they were more powerful and lusting for their blood and on and on and on. But let's go on. Lot added that he's absolutely not a supporter of the tenets of Nazism and pointed green to the group's disclaimer on its website, which states, we need a disclaimer. This page, or anyone involved in its creation, or members of reenactment groups listed here, are in no way affiliated with real, radical political organizations, i.e. KKK, Aryan Nation, American Nazi Party, etc. They don't even belong to the etc. And do not embrace the philosophies and actions of the original Nazi Party, and wholeheartedly condemn the atrocities which made them infamous. It's Purely a historical interest in World War II, Lot, a former grocery chain owner and member of the Ohio Military Reserve, told Green. But disclaimers notwithstanding, the site's discussion of the history of the Third Reich is oddly sanitized and presents the Nazi movement in Europe as in many ways as admirable and an idealistic cause. Germany reads the site's history section. Headed a strong movement in Europe to actively campaign politically and through warfare against the ideals of Bolshevist communism. Oh, so they went to war against ideals. Does that mean lots ready to go to Congress and go to war against my ideals? This culminated, the, the website says, in 1941 when the German armed forces were pitted against the very home of Bolshevism, Soviet Russia. They weren't pitted against them. They invaded them. With that intro, it should come as little surprise that the site also makes little mention of one of the units, this is the Viking units, other key roles on the Eastern Front, rounding up and murdering East European Jews. Through the rich history of the unit's performance in the Caucasus and the battles of Leningrad are listed on the page, some details of the real-life Viking Panzer Division appear to have been selectively left out. Members of the division assisted Einsatz Group A in rounding up Ukrainian Jews. Witnesses report that the Jewish victims were forced to run a gauntlet formed by soldiers who would beat them as they passed, and when they reached the end of the gauntlet, Einsatz Group officers murdered them and their bodies were pushed into a bomb crater. Between 50 and 60 Jews were killed in this manner as a part of the larger Einsatz Group operation, which resulted in over 700 murders. That's just those murders. This is the group that would go into schoolyards and hang Jewish children from the swings. All right, they're re these recreators, this man running for the House of Representatives. You might be wondering why a politician would do something as objectively bad, optics-wise, as dress up like one of America's mortal enemies, no, the world's mortal enemies, and shoot guns at stuff. Lot claims he became a pretend Nazi for the normal reasons. All right, the normal reasons to become a pretend Nazi. He told Green it was a father-son bonding thing. I don't know where to go with this. Asked if he regretted dressing up as a Nazi, now that he's running for Congress, Lot said, what I regret is that we're wasting 
the time talking about this issue when we should be talking about the real issues that are facing the country today. My, oh, my. If you want to stay on top of what's happening with Radio Free Oz or even want to contribute to the show, we have a brand new way for you to do that. Just go to www.twitter.com slash oznetwork and click on the follow button. Then stand by for further instructions. Kind of sounds like Jack Armstrong. Stand by for further instructions. Forget the billion-dollar budget hold and layoff threats. The big debate in California right now is whether a bong war over legalizing pot could help boost Governor Moonbeam back into office. Seizing on new independent polling data, proponents of Proposition 19, the Golden State ballot measure that would make possessing and growing marijuana legal, argue the measure is going to drive younger voter turnout in such a way that it will benefit the Democrats statewide, from gubernatorial retread Jerry Brown to Senator Barbara Boxer. It literally is the thumb on the scale that has been generally missed by the polling models out there and is going to have an impact not only on the initiative, but everything else on the ballot, including the candidates, said Dan Newman, consultant on Yes on 19 campaign. This comes out of Politico, by the way. The community has been very active and engaged, he added, suggesting that there has been anecdotal and quantifiable evidence of voters being spurred on by the issue. There's an energy and enthusiasm that is literally unprecedented in an initiative campaign, he said. While the state Democratic Party is neutral on the ballot measure and its standard bearer and two U.S. senators are all opposed, Chairman John Burton gave a one-word answer to the San Francisco Chronicle back in April when asked at the party's convention what will bring out young first-time Barack Obama voters again. Pot was his answer. One word says it all. The liberal website uh, Fire Dog Lake has teamed up with Students for Sensible Drug Policy to form the Just Say Now campaign aimed at turning out college kids. Two independent pollsters say they're seeing evidence of what Rolling Stone magazine dubbed the burnout turnout effect in recent surveys. I like that, the burnout turnout. Wake and bake and vote. In most states, we're finding that under 30 crowd at about 6%. In California, we found it almost twice that, said Tom Jensen, head of public uh, policy polling. And you know, I don't think young voters in California are more motivated than in most states because they're really excited about going to vote for Jerry Brown. And we do see overwhelming support among the younger voters for the marijuana initiative. The latest polls show the race between Brown and Republican Meg Whitman as tight as in the contest between boxer and GOP nominee Carly Fiorina, although both Democrats have been opening a slim margins. But in both the PPP poll released September 22nd in a recent field poll, Proposition 19 is leading solidly. The PPP survey had it at 47% saying they'll vote yes, 38% saying no, and 14% undecided. Field released last week had supported 49% and opposition at 42%. But that survey also found that young voters are the biggest proponents of the measure, with the under-40 crowd supporting at 59% to 33%. I certainly recognize the difficult position the Democrats are in, having a deeply demotivated base, and so it doesn't surprise me they would turn to the Hail Mary Jane strategy to get their voters excited, said Rod Nering, chairman of the California Republican Party, who by coincidence was driving to weed California 
as he spoke to Politico by phone. The Hail Mary Jane, if that's his own, he's a Republican with a sense of humor, and he ought to be put in a museum. People should come by and say, look, a Republican with a sense of humor. The measure is being watched nationally, with some Democratic strategists reportedly looking at at it, and if it passes, using it as a motivator and wedge issue to put on the ballot in some states during the 2012 elections, a move many political watchers say would be fraught with peril. Well, they think anything to do with pot is fraught with peril, of course, because, gee, just think— if pot brings you out to vote for Jerry Brown, that first election's free. But from then on, you may become a truly registered Democrat. You may even join politics. You may get informed. You may join local committees. You may become a responsible citizen. Nobody on the right wants that. One, two, three, four. Here, dude. From the Huffington Post. President Barack Obama this week lobbied for Republican support from Capitol Hill for a burst of spending on transportation projects, calling his proposal a jobs creator for the middle class and an overdue investment in the country's foundation. Yeah, lobbying for Republican support. Good luck. There's no reason we can't do this, Obama said in a brief Rose Garden event. There's no reason why the world's best infrastructure should lie beyond our borders. This is America. We've always had the best infrastructure. All we need is the political will, which, of course, we lack. Obama is proposing a $50 billion plan as an initial step towards a six-year program of transportation programs. It calls for building, fixing, or maintaining thousands of miles of roads, rail lines, and airport runways, along with installing a new air navigation system to reduce travel delays and other projects. The timing comes as Obama is eager to show action on the sluggish economy just ahead of the November 2nd congressional elections, with his party in jeopardy of losing a sizable number of seats in the House and Senate. Obama asked for Republican support, saying infrastructure work typically draws bipartisan support, but such cooperation seems unlikely in the current partisan atmosphere. The economy continues to dominate public opinion. The public sector slashed 159,000 jobs in September, including the largest cuts by local governments in 28 years. Obama said his program would boost employment right away and help make up for what he called years of costly inattention to the country's infrastructure. Quote, Everywhere else they're thinking big. They're creating jobs today, but they're also playing to win tomorrow, Obama said of some of the top economic competitors to the United States. So, the bottom line is, our short-sightedness has come due. We can no longer afford to sit still. The administration released a new analysis of Obama's plan that said it would particularly help with middle-class jobs in construction, manufacturing, and retail. And you know what the Republicans said in return? Oh, this is pitiful. Look at his stimulus program that he said was going to help the infrastructure. It hasn't done anything at all. Yeah, it's just getting underway. You're not going to get any help from the Republicans. If we lose the House to the Republicans, nothing's going to get done, and we are going to settle in for at least two more years of solid decay. Hardabagi International Pictures presents The Fuse of Doom, a new Frank Ankme serial thriller starring Jay Eager Beaver as Andrew the Pig Lunget, Abe Lasfogel as Boris, and Mr. X as the Electrician. Part 3, Care of the Cow, brings good fortune! The mysterious electrician is struck at the palatial home of industrialist Jonas Ackney, stunning Dr. Octype and stealing his Epiline tube. 
After escaping from the Cobra Man, young Frank Acme Jr. takes the Doctor away, escaping just before the floor and ceiling of the Acme Library come together like the jaws of a crazy monkey. Apparently crushing Acme and his fellow magnate, oh. publisher Charles Foster. Oh. We rejoin our story in the lair of the electrician. <laughs> Okay, Moon. Excuse me. Moons in Gemini, Mr. Electrician, sir. Earthquake in Japan. Splendid. Put another pin in the map for us. Oh, boy. Looky here. Tremors in Afghanistan. Oh, Jupiter's in the north node. School bus collision in Fort Wayne. Farmer coughs up towel in Brussels. Ah, 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 yes. Neptune, 31 degrees, 4 minutes retrograde in Scorpio. I'm glad we did that. Did we do that? Of course, you fool! Oh, and that's nothing compared to what havoc we can wreak when oh. once I learn what havoc I can wreak with this infernal epiline tube. Oh. Oh, what, what time is it? It's, uh, lunchtime. Then it must be Andy the Pig's report from the concrete submarine. Get a fix on him. <clears throat> okay, let me tune it in here. Uh, <clears throat> this is Red Death calling the pig. Red Death calling the pig. Are you getting anything? Well, you know, now and again on this. I'm not really popular with girls, ah, sir. Ah, oh, quiet. Something's coming. Oh. Coming right through my fly. Oh, what is it? I believe it's Paul Whiteman. <laughs> Would you care to uh, to dance? Oh, is that my fox? I'll leave. Hey, hey who's calling me, she? Can you hear me, she? Can no, you I hear can't me? Hear a thing. I got these huge earmuffs on her phone. Boris, give the pig my <laughs> message. Okay. Hey, 23 skedaddle, Boris. Getting any? Well, the pig, I don't know what it is. Girls just don't seem Too as easy hey, as Hey, tell the boss I just nailed Jim Fang. Oh. He came at me with a fistful of karate knives. Ho, ha, ho, hey, ho, hey. ha. Hey, the pig, what did you do? Well, let's just say I I jumped his gelats with a 45, get me, see? Oh, gee, I never have any fun on my vacation. Boris! Oh, yeah, your, your message. Your message. <clears throat> oh, sure. <clears throat> Look, the pig, the boss, wants you to pick up Joe from Chicago in the concrete submarine. Boris! Uh, Use the secret code. But, boss... It's a secret. Not to me, it ain't, pal. Use oh. the code. Come well, on. Okay, uh, okay. okay. here we go. Code, 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 code. Here we go. Hello, mother. That's right. Hello. Pick up the overshoes <laughs> in the linen closet and bring them you to... You left your overshoes in the closet? Well, yes, but I'm sorry, Mom. I won't do it again. You better not. Clean up your room, you okay, ungrateful cur. And, and and tell me you love oh, me, she. Of course I love you, Mom. Yeah. I tried to call you on Sunday, but I was so yeah, busy with you these never, girls. you never, never, never. Oh, please call. don't cry, yeah, Mom. I've spent all my life on Forrest, Forrest, I, Forrest, ah, I don't remember this. Is this a part of the... Code? It's the password, Mr. Electrician, sir. Oh. Here we go. All right, Mom. Here's your kiss. Mm. Oh, I feel better. Me she. too. Yeah. Now, Mom, listen carefully. Pick up the overshoes in the linen closet and bring them home. Use the secret knock. Secret I'm knock. signing off now. Wait for it. O-F-F. What does that spell? Oh, look, Boris. Iron Storm in Shanghai. Mars is conjoint the crabs. Oh. Who's responsible for this? You're responsible for my crabs. That's right. <laughs> ah, 
there's no limit to my axis of evil. And now I'm going to test the ultimate weapon, Archetype's Epilin Tube. Satan, next fire time, same fire station for lightning strikes twice. Episode four of the fuse of doom. Maybe we could get the writers for Nick Danger. From De Huff. Even though the unemployment rate remained flat at 9.6% in September, the labor market would now need to add a total of about 11.5 million jobs to restore the pre-recession rate, according to analysis from Heidi Scherholz, an economist with the Economic Policy Institute. The economy lost about 95,000 jobs last month, including temporary census workers. Not including census positions, roughly 18,000 jobs were lost, as the private sector addition of 64,000 jobs couldn't offset the 83,000 jobs cut by state and local governments, whose unusually severe deficits have led analyst Meredith Whitney to predict that the next major financial crisis will come from municipal debt defaults. The state and local cuts included 58,000 teaching jobs. This is really serious. They're beginning to talk about the fact that the states and the cities within them are going bankrupt and these jobs are going. And the only way they can come back is an influx of money from the federal government. And we're about to put a bunch of idiots in power who think that that's socialism. Even worse, European-style socialism. And a lot of them don't care about education anyway because that's just all them smarty-pants aliens. Elite. The true numbers could be even worse. The reported numbers of jobs lost in July and August were revised up after the initial reports. According to Shearholt's analysis, the economy is down about 8.1 million jobs from where it was when the recession began in December 2007. Considering population growth, the economy should have added 3.4 million jobs during the recession, Shearholt's notes. To fully recover, the country would need to add 11.5 million jobs. <laughs> That's a huge number. And population growth continues to make it bigger. To fully recover in five years, Shearholt says, the country would need to add 300,000 jobs every month for that entire period. Did you hear that? 300,000 jobs a month for five years just to get even. Where in the world do we start? What's that all about? What's it all about, Mr. and Mrs. John Q. Smith from Anytown, USA? Yeah, remember all that chatter when Congress was reeling in the corrupt Wall Street? Mm-hmm. In Wall Street, there were all these predictions that it was going to lose so much money because of the new regulation, et cetera, et cetera, that the bonuses would be down, et cetera, et cetera. Wall Street according to the Daily Beast, is on track to pay its employees $144 billion this year, breaking a record for the second year in a row, the Wall Street Journal reports. Despite financial reform intended to curb compensation and a steep decline in trading volume, pay in the financial services industry has shown few signs of fading. 
Pay is expected to rise at 26 out of the 35 firms, according to the journal. According to its analysis, the $144 billion overall figure is a 4% increase over last year's $139 billion. Revenue on Wall Street grew only 3% this year, but unlike at some businesses outside the financial sector, employee compensation remains a high priority. The Dodd-Frank financial reform legislation, passed in July, gives regulators the power to write rules governing executive pay but it remains to be seen how effective or restrictive these rules will be. Last month, regulators from the SEC, the FDIC, and the Federal Reserve testified before the House Financial Services Committee to explain how they intended to curb executive compensation. But as the rulemaking is still in progress, the conversation included few specific strategies or numbers. Get this. When asked to name a threshold for an inordinately large payoff, Federal Reserve General Counsel Scott Alvarez declined. It's very nuanced, he said. There is no number. His peers had similar answers. Now get this. Pay at Goldman Sachs is set to rise about 4%, even though the company's revenue is expected to decline 13.5%. Banks whose revenue falls short are expected to lay off employees in order to keep their bonus pools high, says the Wall Street Journal. So in order to pay for these corrupt, uh, otherworldly bonuses, they're going to lay people off. This is strict criminal behavior and something has got to be done about it. So, closes the 100th show. Tomorrow, we go to 101. Hey, Dave, that's like watching the odometer in the car turn over. Boy, it just ticks right over. Here it comes. Bang. Yeah, today, 100. Well, that's um, that's that's an achievement. Congratulations to you, me, and all of our listeners out there, too. And to all the people on the Oz team, I want to thank sure. Dave Maloney for being just such a great audio engineer and such a great friend here. And, he, and He's on his second book of notes. Yeah, right. Full, full book of notes. And, and Scott Wilde for making things happen so beautifully on the website and keeping us up to date with how to be socially networkable, to Phil Fountain for his wonderful art and his, and his great humor, to Chaz Glass for being such a, such a great business mentor. I mean, he really knows how to get it said and get it done. Kelly Brewer has joined us now. She's recent, but it's like she's been here all along. She's getting us syndicated. She's editing us. She's helping with the whole approach. Tom Goodwillow has been a true friend and a great, um, you know, um, webmaster and, and, and in charge of the podcast from the very get-go. And you, David Osman, well, what can I say? And about myself, Peter Bergman, I have nothing to say. You know, it's just, just not much there. So well, let's, let's let Lee Poe say it. Let then. Lee Poe say it, Mr. The Tang Man. There, the Tang Man, and of course he is uh, 7th century. We've we've determined this. I don't want to lay too much factoids about uh, Chinese poetry. It doesn't matter because the stuff is so beautiful. But uh, there are two little wine references in this. One of them is to the wine star, which was a star in the firmament of China, somewhere in Leo. And another one is to the wine spring, which actually refers to a a spring in a little town that it went and drank and it tasted like wine. Well, who knows? Well, who knows? Anyway, this is a drinking song poem I'm, for I'm us. I'm at Leo's drinking at the wine All store. All right. If heaven weren't fond of wine, 
wine star would not be found in heaven. If earth weren't fond of wine, there could be no wine spring on earth. Since heaven and earth are fond of wine, in heaven, being fond of wine can't be judged wrong. Clear wine, I've heard, is compared to sages. Also, the unstrained wine spoken of as worthies. Since I've drunk both sages and worthies, why must I seek out the immortals? Three cups penetrate the great truth. One gallon accords with nature's laws. Uh, simply find pleasure in wine. Speak not of it to the sober ones. Yes, especially to us. That's guys. right. So don't be sober. Just be wise. Yeah, well, we're going to go down to Leo's, do a little drinking with the wine stars, drop by the wine spring. Uh, call the wife, tell her I'm okay. And we'll be okay and with you again on show 101, 101. Radio Free Oz, coming up. <laughs>